Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com, and uh, we're here to talk about Orlando City Soccer Club once again. Joining me is uh, TML writer Dave Rowe. Dave, how's it going? Well, we're coming off another win in the Fortress, so things are good. Yeah, that's uh, that's four in a row by my count and um, everybody else's count, really. Uh, whoever can actually yep. count is counting that as four in a row, which is it's a record, Dave. It is uh, a record in MLS for opening a new building to win the first four games there, and the uh, the Lions have done that. It's about time that we hit the record books like that. Yeah, it's nice to hit the record books for a good thing. A good thing is, is always what you want to be in the record books for. Absolutely, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, if it's it, it's amazing um, that, I, and I love that it was it, that you know I called it the fortress. That's it wasn't just us that's saying that. The national media kind of latched onto that and started talking about it. And uh, I, I think we should start some sort of uh, uh, you know online petition to have that be uh, be somewhat official. Well, the purple palace is what I've been calling it, although it certainly is a fortress. Um, it, it, or at least it has been to date, and uh, that's four out of four for the 4-1-0 Orlando City Soccer Club and uh, a 2-1 dramatic victory over the LA Galaxy, a very talented offensive team um, that Orlando pretty much, uh, for the most part, handled. Uh, there was a, a period of time in the second half when, when LA really came into the game. Um, Orlando City had a couple of subs they had to bring on. Uh, Christian Aguida is not quite... 90-minute match fit, so uh, he had to be subbed out. Uh, Carlos Rivas was having some issues with cramping, so he had to come out. So a couple of uh, necessary subs, and because of the the personnel, uh, Jason Christ switched it to a flat 4-4-2. Now, at the same time, uh, Roman Alessandrini for L.A. decided he wanted to work more toward the middle of the pitch. And uh, so a, a guy who had kind of been... I wouldn't say he's, he was completely locked down, but a guy who had been more or less managed uh, by Donny Toya suddenly uh, became dangerous again and started getting scoring chances uh, for a, a, you know, a good 15, 20-minute stretch of the second half. And then, um, of course, he finally uh, it took something special. He made a, a very uh, good fake, uh, like he was going to shoot with his 
uh, with his left, and uh, Jonathan Spector committed. He cut back to his right, and uh, of course it takes a pretty special strike to to beat Joe Bendick, and he put one in off the inside of the right post, which I feel like that's unfair that he got to score off the post since Carlos Rivas hit the post twice and it didn't go in. Technically, it hit the post three times. That's true. Because that's on true. one of them, it hit the <laughs> left, and then it hit the right, and then, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of Alessandrini's uh, uh, goal, you know, he did put quite the move on uh, on Spectre, which that tells you exactly how good of a move it was, because, of course, you know, Spectre has been uh, pretty solid all year. Um, and then to, I mean, you know, he put it, Pretty much the you know one of the only places that uh, Joe Bendick is not going to get it. So you know, uh, hats off to to him for you know getting that goal and 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 you know drawing even mm-hmm. at that point in the match. Um, as a matter of fact, I did predict that Allison Dream was going to score their goal. And you know, for a while, Dave, I thought I was going to be right with the one-one prediction because uh, you know after the Galaxy scored, I wasn't sure you know that the boys had much left in the tank. But of course, Kyle Laren took care of business and and uh, made me look bad again. Yeah, you're right. I and <laughs> I was a little bit worried that you know after that I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, God, okay, Michael's going to be right. But thankfully, like you said, Laren bailed me out and uh, enabled me to to be right this time. So thank you, Kyle. All right, so you and I have been doing this. We had a little bit of a technical issue, so I'm just going to cut to the chase. Will Johnson had a great goal. He set up a goal. He and Sutter did a great job shutting down uh, Boateng on the day. I'm naming Will Johnson my man of the match. Uh, I'm assuming you feel the same. I absolutely feel the same. Between the uh, the goal that he had, between the, uh, uh, the corner that was pitch perfect right to Kyle for the, the winning goal, and then just his leadership on the field and his hustle to get back uh for his first goal all of it just lined up for him having an incredible game and earning that captain's armband that he's wearing a lot of lions had good games very uh, impressed with the effort and a, a good a good la offense uh, held to just one goal is, is uh is uh, a real uh tribute to the the players and i thought that uh it was a nice surprise to see uh, Antonio Nocerino back on the field to start the game. Uh, we also saw Tony Rocha on the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, some guys are, are maybe starting to get healthy. That that Brazilian guy should probably be healthy pretty soon, too. <laughs> so that's that's probably going to help things out a little bit. <laughs> Brazilian guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, you know the one. All right. So, um, but Orlando City wasn't the only team from the club to play this weekend. The NWSL started this weekend, and... You know, I was fortunate enough to have the DVR going to catch the Lifetime Game of the Week featuring the Orlando Pride at the Portland Thorns. And, you know, again, we we had our our technical issues, so we're probably going to give this not quite as much time as we originally did (laughs) when we recorded it the first time and it didn't work out. But uh, I would say that the the Pride, they lose 2-0, but I think the scoreline wasn't quite fair to them. I think that they had a lot of chances. They had about 19 shots. I thought Jasmine Spencer had two absolutely stellar opportunities to score goals, but while it was still uh, the game was still young, um, I thought that the second half uh, after the the penalty was called on Alana Kennedy and and the Portland uh, Thorns were able to take the one 0 lead into the half. Uh, I thought that the response to start the second half was really great from Tom Sermani's team, and they they kind of had Portland hemmed into their their own third for a bit. Uh, good high pressure, uh, a pretty decent ball movement. Just 
didn't have that final the, the quality on that final ball, whether it be the final pass to, to give somebody a tap in or the the, the shot itself. Obogagu, um, uh, uh, Chioma Obogagu, actually had two opportunities to really uh, score her first goal with the pride, and she uh, unfortunately hit both of them at the keeper. And um, just a, a number of opportunities that, that went awry. And then, of course, there was a midfield turnover uh, that led to Sinclair having a one-on-one with, with Ashlyn Harris. And she was, uh, of course, she's one of the greatest uh, forwards to ever play the women's game. So I would say that Christine Sinclair one-on-one, it, there's no shame in giving up a goal on that. No. And, you know, so the two goals Harris gave up uh, gave up was the one on Sinclair and then, of course, the uh, the penalty kick, um, which, you know, notoriously hard to to defend a penalty kick. Um, <laughs> Harris played well the rest of the game. Um, you know, she had several excellent saves, um, kept them in it, especially in the first half. So, so you know, to go into uh, to to the um, Providence Park against the Thorns with no Alex Morgan, no Marta against the uh, last year's Shield winners, um, and to, like you said, play as well as they did, uh, it's probably about as good as we can ex- uh well, not as good as we can expect, but um, y- you can look at it and 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 see that uh, it it was a good, there was good effort, and it's something to, to work on, to grow on, and of course, you know, hopefully we get Marta in next week. Uh, Alex comes back eventually, and, and you know, the, the pieces come together, and of course, the Thorns have to come see us at the Fortress later in the year, so mm-hmm. hopefully we can, we can get that back. I do want to mention, I think that the real winners of all these technical difficulties are the listeners, because that means that well, like you said, we're being a little bit maybe more direct, and they're just not having to listen to us talk as much. <laughs> yeah, but they're missing that great spontaneity. That they we are the missing time. that great spontaneity. <laughs> For us, it's like a deja vu thing going on, and they, they're missing all of it. So. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, you know, it certainly could have been a better game for the Pride, and, and certainly Tom Sermani will want that cutting edge to be there for them. Um, but it could have been much worse. This, this didn't look like a two-goal loss that – you would have seen from the from the pride last year it looked like a much different type of two goal loss it, it, again I, I think certainly the pride could have scored a couple of even maybe maybe as many as about four goals in that game um but just a little unlucky a little bit lacking that that cutting edge and just not not quite able to do it and and i think that the pressure of playing in such an environment it, it wears on you throughout a game if you don't get one early and then you fall behind. I think it's it's very, it makes life very difficult. And I think that it's no shame to come back with that loss. Um, I think there'll be better days. In fact, I think there'll be a better day just coming up this weekend against the Washington Spirit when they uh, the pride of their home opener. And hopefully they will be able to fill that place to the rim uh, with 25,500 screaming fans in purple uh, ready to welcome uh, Marta, superstar from Brazil, into the the Pride fold, and uh, you know we don't know that she's going to make it in time. It's, it's the arbitrary nature of international paperwork and visas, uh, being what it is. It, it might be that it's game three before we get her, but hopefully she'll be in this weekend, and and hopefully she'll be able to contribute. Well, and I think we're missing in a uh, an important part. Um, so uh, it's you know Washington's coming in. Well, of course we do have a player that was at Washington for years. Uh, we have more than one. Oh well, yes, more than <laughs> one. But of course you know who I'm thinking of, Miss uh, One Miss Ali Krieger, and uh, so uh, fill the bowl. Yeah. If not that, not that 
everybody isn't already saying it, but if you haven't heard it from everybody else, well, Michael and I are saying it. Get out there. Fill the bowl. Mm-hmm. Let's make the fortress do for the pride what it has done for the uh, men's team all year. And get in there. Let's get a win. And uh, show that Orlando is the soccer can- capital itself. Portland set the bar this year. They've, uh, they had 16,000 for opening day, so uh, Orlando needs more than that. So, and I think they'll get there. I think I don't know if they'll they'll sell out, but I think they'll get close to a sellout. And I think that as long as they can, you know, get close, I think that, that they have a nice big crowd behind them in that stadium where it's really loud. I think it'll be a a, a boost for them. And and you know, uh, Will Johnson said after this weekend's game, you know how how much that the crowd and how loud it is really yeah. spurs them on and, and really get, gives them to, it gets them to take that, dig that little bit deeper when they think they have nothing left in the tank. So it's, it, it really is, uh, it really does have an effect when you show up in numbers and, and, and cheer for the team like they, like the, uh, the Lions fans have been doing. So uh, come on out and, and see the game against the spirit four o'clock this weekend uh, on Saturday against uh, Washington. Again, Allie Krieger, I thought she had a really I thought she had a really solid game uh, up at Portland. So she's um, Ellie Krieger. Of course, she had a solid game. Yeah, she was a uh, very. Oh, her passing is is next level when you when you compare it to some of the other defenders that the Pride have had. Um, Absolutely. So, anyway, um, why don't we turn our attention to the third team? Not the third team in our hearts, or no. anything, but, but OCB had two games this week. They went up to Red Bulls too, um, which is not playing at Red Bull Arena. They're playing at Montclair State. University in the MSU uh, soccer complex, and uh, they lost three to one. But I think in some respects that's a little bit of misleading scoreline. It didn't seem that they were that outmatched. They had some opportunities, uh, couldn't quite, you know, take all of their chances. And, and Red Bulls too, a very good team. They they're defending champions, and just you make one mistake and it kills you. It was a one-one game, and stoppage time of first of the first half, uh, just a defensive error. Uh, cost them a, a goal, and it was 2-1 going into the half, and they just couldn't quite get on the front foot in the second half. The second half, they just they just didn't seem like the same team. I, I really think partially it's very deflating uh, goal, partially uh, New York Red Bulls too much better with the lead, I think, is what happened. Well, and we've said it before that, uh, you know, Red Bulls too is where OCB wants to be. Mm-hmm. So to go in there and... <laughs> You know, last couple times that we went up there and played, you know, four goal losses. So, yes. you know, two goal. I mean, heck, that's so OCB know, is twice as good now. They're twice as good. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, that, hey, that's progress. Yeah. So and uh, of course, you know, we want to give a big shout out to uh, Zach Carroll, who uh, who did get the goal. And that was a different uh, game, a different game. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That was, that was the yourself. other game. I am getting ahead of myself. Yeah. This is what happens when yeah. we have a technical difficulty. Yeah. Albert Dequa got the goal against Dequa the Dequa got the goal. On so that his one, second right. second goal in as many games. And then he did not play tonight as we record this again on Tuesday night. Again. Um, yes, this is this is a re-recording. We've having a we're having a do-over as you as you know, just like we used to do when we were playing wiffle ball as kids. We have do-over, um, you know, because you hit the power line or whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, so. They come out of the Red Bulls two game, uh, you know, three one, you know, loss. Really ugly game in Harrisburg. Um, Harrisburg just sat in compactly, didn't park the bus, didn't give up possession, but they were very very difficult to break down. And right. you know, OCB 
did get a few chances, but they, they weren't able to take those chances. And if they had taken those chances, you know, possibly a, a different outcome. Now they have Harrisburg has to come forward. They're having to stretch a little more. And then maybe you can get that second one and put them away. But they weren't able to do that. Um, a rough start to the game for Haji Berry, who was offside four times in the first half. Uh, you watch for that last defender, Haji. Um, but uh, the, the, you know, they... The second half comes out, and, and it looks like for all the world it's going to be a nil-nil draw. And then the assistant referee, of all people, awards a penalty to the hosts on a, on a play that I felt like the referee had a pretty good view of. And, you know, I'm not going to argue whether it was or wasn't a penalty or whether it was or wasn't a foul. I think it was certainly one of those plays that we've seen let go well, many Ant times. Well, Ant, Ant was ready to argue it. Sure he was, of course, and, you know, he's a little bit more at stake than the rest of us, but, uh, you know, I, I thought, I felt like the ref didn't need to, you know, seek someone else's advice. I thought he had a good enough view of it to, to make that call on his own, and then when, you know, he noticed the flag was up after, you know, OCB had, you know, the player had come in from the side, and it looked like uh, uh, the OCB player had, um, you know, they, they made contact, but it wasn't much contact. Right. And the the shot was gotten off, so it didn't deny the goal scoring opportunity. It hit the, he hit the post, and the ball bounced out. And OCB cleared it, and then he noticed the flag was up and went over, stopped play, and went over, and, and then they awarded the penalty. And of course, Harrisburg converted, made it one nil, and then uh, OCB had to respond. And of course, they were finally able to do that on a play that looked like it might have been a, a penalty for OCB. Wait, and hold um, on. Spoilers. <laughs> and it wasn't a penalty for OCB. They ruled that the, the foul happened outside the box. And, uh, you know, they, the set piece was exactly what Orlando City needed because they they were able to get delivery from De Silva into uh, to Zach Carroll, who uh, was able to uh, touch it home and, and make it 1-1 in stoppage time. So OCB taking a play out of the, uh, the MLS club or the MLS side's uh, playbook and, and getting one in stoppage time to uh, to rescue a point, the first point for an Orlando City team on the road in 2017. And and we're not surprised here. I mean, we had Zach on a couple of weeks ago, and you know he had the uh, the podcast uh, a bump and got the uh, captain's armband, and now he's continuing the podcast bump to get the goal. So uh, no surprise <laughs> from Michael and I on that one. Uh, I, I kid, of course, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all his doing, um, a, a great service in from, uh, Pierre De Silva and then, uh, Zach making the, the good goal to, uh, get that first, um, point on the road for the OCB. Uh, very proud. I, I, and I literally said it earlier, um, this is the type of thing where, um, the development squad goes in there, they, they go down that goal. It's very easy for them to, to you know, give up. They're on the road. They've already lost one on the road to, you know, uh, Red Bulls too. Um, but they don't, they press forward, uh, they get their chance and they take advantage of it and they get the point out of it. And, um, you know, they could come out of this, uh, three game, three game road stretch, uh, you know, with a, a win and a tie and a loss. And that would just, uh, that would be a really good result from all of that. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Great. Uh, road trip, a three-game road trip if they came home with four points out of it. Uh, you couldn't really ask for much more from a team that, you know, is expected to be sort of around that playoff line uh, for the full season being, a, you know, being a, an MLS2 team and, and very much developmental, brand new players across the board. Many, many new players, and they're going to have new lineups every week. 
just about every game. They had several Orlando City senior club members today. They had uh, PC played in the game, although he left in the first half with a back injury. Uh, Leo Pereira played today. Um, uh, Tony Rocha played in the midfield. Uh, so he got a run out, and, and that was his first one since injuring his hamstring in the preseason. And, um, and Haji Berry, as we mentioned, he played as well. So uh, quite a few players from the, the senior team getting a, a look and uh, getting some playing time because they'll probably be on the bench Sunday at Yankee Stadium uh, and probably not expected to play, but at least they've they've shaken off the, the rust a little bit. So OCB needs to go to Bethlehem this uh, later on this week, hopefully come home with a win from there and uh, and make it a 1-1-1 road trip. That'd be really great. And if, if they don't get the win, if they can at least get a draw and, and get points in a couple of road games, that's it, it's so difficult to get points on the road. And, and so if they at least got a, a you know if they at least got something out of it that'd be that'd be a pretty good uh, trip for Anthony Pillis's bunch so we hope they do that so now we've talked about OCB what they've got coming up they've got Bethlehem Steel FC we've talked about the pride they've got Washington Spirit uh, let's get back to the MLS side and uh, talk a little bit about them we've, we've got to go up to the futsal stadium known as Yankee uh, in the Bronx and uh, play on that tiny little pitch uh, against New York City FC. So uh, let's get to our special guest. We're going to talk a little bit about that game right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week is Sam Dunn, the managing editor uh, of Hudson River Blue, which uh, covers New York City FC for SB Nation. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get into this. I want to I want to know this right off the bat because this is a this is one of those questions that that uh, I think here in our corner of the world is debated a little bit, probably more than it is anywhere else. But um, obviously, New York City FC has uh, a quote unquote in town rival in in New York Red Bulls. But do the fans of New York City FC at all consider Orlando, the, the fellow 2015 uh, expansion club, any type of a rival, even a minor rival at this point? I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's year three now. Well, I won't touch the first part of what you said when you seem to misunderstand what what uh, what it means to to be in a town. <laughs> uh, but that's a different podcast, I think. I will say this. There's a similar dynamic in play uh, in which New York City is on the other end of it, where we look at the Red Bulls as being this kind of singular rival, whereas the Red Bulls don't spend nearly as much time thinking about New York City FC as a team. Uh, they've they've got roots already in in the area and up and down I-95, and and so they they would. They would probably pick multiple teams that they would consider to be bigger rivals for them than than New York City, and it's mm-hmm. it's relatively hard to argue that. I would say with NYC looking at Orlando, it may be that, and and this is our perception here, so I'd like to hear uh, you guys shed some light on it yourselves. But it seems to me that Orlando fans are more likely to view New York City as a rival than the other way around, which isn't to say that New York City doesn't really, really want to beat OCSC. Uh, but uh, you would find folks up here more hesitant to refer to that as a rivalry mm-hmm. um, because our, uh, 
I, I think we're, there might be this effort to not want wanting to necessarily dignify uh, the, uh, the the perceptions from down in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I let Dave jump in with his next question, I just I'll just say that I, I think there is a I think there is a dislike I will call it for for New York teams. I think not only here, but I think elsewhere around the country. And the fact that, that NYC came in at the same time as Orlando City made that a natural, oh, we hate them because, you know, they're taking away our spotlight kind of thing, I guess. But um, And then I think there's sort of that, and there's also the, this, the, the big money, you know, city football group perception. And there's that their whole perception among supporters here that, you know, this team was built from the grassroots kind of thing. We were a minor league team and we kind of built things up and they just came in and threw money around and got a team. So I think those two things have lent some dislike for, for New York City from, from the Orlando perspective. And it seems to be um, taken pretty well uh, here when Orlando does well against New York City, which has surprisingly happened um, more often than I expected, quite frankly. Yeah, it's and, and you got to give it up to them. And, and there's something to be said for Fortress Orlando right now. I know everybody up up in this part of the world is is pretty happy that uh, this weekend's game is not another trip down to Central Florida because no matter how many chances were there for for the Sky Blues, is just I don't know. There's 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 something about that arena that you guys built. Uh, things seem to be going pretty damn well for you in there. You know, it's funny. I was actually I was leading you. You segued right into my question perfectly. I was. Boom. I know. Excellent job, Sam. Um, obviously, you know they are starting to dub at the fortress and all that, and that's that's when our end. We love it, and we were able to squeak out that uh, win at home to start the season with you guys. Now, of course, we've got to come up there where you guys are undefeated at home, if not, you know, uh, all wins. Uh, you know, two zero and one. Does Yankee Stadium offer any advantage at all? It comes down to styles of play. And in some ways, it's super arbitrary. But if you're not used to playing on that surface where there could be any number of different types of grass kind of Frankensteined on top of that, <laughs> uh, on top of that uh, infield dirt, it's one of those things. If you're attacking in... in uh, the direction that's, uh, I don't know what geographical direction is, but if you're attacking away from the New York City supporter section and towards like the press box, the, like the infield, basically, you all, and, and you like to do things up the right, uh, you really have to be ready for the, the weird bounce and the weird roll of the ball and that Frankenstein grass. Now, that never bothered guys like Mike Grella, but I don't know. There's, I, I think Mike Grella is like a Nexus, Nexus 6 replicant. Um, <laughs> again, that's a different podcast. But it's it, it really does come down to styles of play. I would say that New York City enjoys I would probably a similar home field advantage to a lot of teams. They started off last year actually really struggling to get results at home, uh, blowing leads late, uh, including uh, giving one away to Orlando City, in which, of course, Josh Saunders parried a ball right into Kyle Laren's face, and that ended <laughs> up being a goal. Uh, <laughs> Josh Saunders plays for a different team now, as you know. Yes. But, but uh, I wouldn't say he plays. <laughs> uh, hey, I stand corrected. Jason Christ had to get his guy. He just had to get his guy. But we're, we saw over really the second half of last year things starting to normalize themselves out where New York City was 
they still finished the regular season last year with the best road record overall, most points taken on the road. That was a little more of an aberration than their lack of results at home earlier last year. They really are a team that's much more much more comfortable at home, uh, with the exception of the Pacific Northwest, where I think they're undefeated out there. But uh, I would I would unequivocally say I'm much happier about these guys' chances against a team like Orlando City in the Bronx as opposed to uh, down in the old I-4 corridor. Yeah, uh, I want to go back to the Yankee Stadium thing. I, I think it's interesting that I've never I've never seen such a building that was. I think more universally um, sort of respected and, and loved and yet at the same time loathed for one particular sporting event that takes place there uh, as Yankee Stadium. <laughs> um, have you noticed any type of, of sort of build for the for the pitch? I, I mean, does the team get built at all with with particular types of players specifically to play on that smaller pitch? You would think that there are a couple of basic things you could do to take advantage of that. The the dimensions and the surface. The most obvious one for me is going and trying to develop a long throw-in strategy when you're in the attacking third. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more or less easy enough to turn a, turn a throw-in into essentially a, a corner kick. And we haven't really seen New York City ever... Try and get that guy who can do that Christian Fuchs thing where you just whip it in there. No, That really hasn't figured into the strategy, not, not under Christ nor under Patrick Vieira. If anything, it's been New York City's opponents who have done so, like uh, Matt Beasler early on in the inaugural, inaugural season uh, doing exactly that. Um, really, what supersedes any uh, tactical consideration vis-a-vis that the particularities of the venue is is Patrick Vieira's philosophy, which he insists on completely ironclad, unwavering, un- unrelenting, no matter where the team is playing. Now, you might have a different squad selection. For instance, you're not going to have uh, um, an immobile center back playing right back uh, in every away venue. But it's easy enough to put a guy like Ethan White or even last year, a guy like Jason Hernandez, who was athletically limited, out wide to the right in the back four on a narrower pitch where all you have to do is close guys out. You don't have to run forward. So that's really it. Otherwise, the Vieira philosophy of building up from the back unrelentingly, like City does on both sides of the ocean, and and occasionally it blows up completely in their face, Hmm. playing the high defensive line and – and it just it, it, getting your guys get themselves benched if they're not buying into to what Vieira wants. Uh, you know, this whole idea of defending from the front. Uh, it's very dogmatic. That supersedes any other consideration based on the, uh, the, the playing surface and the dimensions in the Bronx. Well, Awesome. I do have a, I'm going to completely and totally switch gears here because uh, it's been a bit of a debate on our forum and uh, I want to get your thought on it. So uh, uh, David Villa had that uh, monstrous from 50 whatever, you know, out goal. Now, what I'm curious about is, is that skill, luck, bad goaltending or a combination of the three? 
I think at the end of the day, most New York City fans aren't going to aren't going to care so much because it, and and this will hopefully not be totally lost to history. They were gonna. It, it was already the 90th minute. They were gonna get that result without that goal. It wasn't a game-winning goal. They presume there was no indication that Philly really had anything up their sleeve where they could really go in for the kill at the end and, and steal a point. They're missing that one guy that you can rely on in crunch time to just go make something happen. So, and even then, though. It comes down to not, you know, is David Villa one of the only guys who could hit it from that distance and beat the keeper? It comes down to simply having the presence of mind to try such a thing, specifically because you don't need that goal to win the game. I think that's the difference, really. Now, there, there are plenty of guys who have the touch to just slam it. But the context of the situation makes it the most interesting to me. Um and it comes down to presence of mind. So it, that's really the difference between David Villa and other guys with maybe similar athleticism. And it, it, it's going to be hard, especially in MLS, to find somebody who could finish quite like that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. when you have to you're getting up into like Alessandrini, Giovinco territory, but or you know Diego Valeri or uh, guys like that. But um, for me, it's it's hard to say that Andre Blake made much of a mistake there because they needed to press numbers forward just because they were behind. Um, and uh, so I would I would chalk that up to just a, a rare ability to have the presence of mind just to even try something like that. Forget about the ability to finish it off. Sam, obviously Kyle Lahren has, has done well against many teams, but he, he seems to especially love the New York teams and, and does quite well against them. What is it about him that, that presents a tough matchup for New York City in particular? One thing that has been consistent throughout the young history of the team, no matter who was trotting out there, no matter who was picking the squad or coaching the team, was that because of the way the team wants to play, they leave themselves vulnerable to uh, certain particular styles. And it's not just counterattacking teams, because Montreal likes to counterattack like crazy, and New York City's overall record against them is pretty positive. But, and it's not just guys with outlandish individual skill like the Giovinco types, because mm-hmm. he scored a hat trick against New York City in, in the inaugural year, and the game ended up as a draw. So, but with a guy like Laren, he's a he's he's just a one man wrecking crew. He has that com- combination of of creativity, skill, and just power that New York City at the back specifically and in the defensive midfield just doesn't really have an answer for. They're outfitted to take on a lot of different types of teams, but someone like that, there's no there's no easy decision in in terms of uh, the matchup. Uh, to solve that problem that he presents. And Vieira is not a guy. He's actually the last guy who's going to throw everything out the window to game plan for one guy. You can call that arrogance. You can call that, uh, you know, somebody who's still figuring out how to, how to coach a, a senior team week in, week out. But, but that's really it. And I don't know what word to use to describe the guy who's just always in that right place at the right time, whether it's, uh, sliding in and stoppage time, like in, in uh, Orlando City's last game, or you know, just uh, having your face positioned in the right place for when Josh Saunders <laughs> parries the ball right into you. 
it, when that happens enough, it's not luck. It's not entropy. It's just the the it factor. And if the it factor is embodied in somebody who is that powerful and that athletic, it just is what it is. And and uh, speaking of scoring hat tricks against New York City, I mean he he's what the only other guy besides Giovinco who's done it. Of course, that New York City won that game. That was the five three mm-hmm. game when when Pirlo made his his uh, wizardly debut, but. He's he's a guy that I would say even now with all the ex- improvements New York City has made, including at the back, he just by himself applies so much pressure. If Andrea Pirlo is your deepest midfielder, it's it's a wrap. Laren wins that battle. You talk about the communication that's still developing between Sean Johnson and goal and a guy like Alexander Collins, who doesn't speak very good English. So there's a, a bit of a disconnect there, even though Collins is kind of... Uh, impress himself decently with the team. Um, Just little things like that. Laren by himself is still going to be able to exploit those things. I'd say he's definitely good for uh, a goal this weekend. Well, and, you know, it's the presence of mind to have your face in the right position uh, <laughs> yeah. to be able to do that. Right? Now, um, uh, switching sides of the field, uh, of course, uh, Shulton went out uh, with a hammy. Uh, for you guys, and I know you're pretty you're pretty deep there, but um, is, how does that you think affect uh, any game planning? I don't know if in just these next couple of weeks this is going to cause too many issues for the team because it's they've been pretty much unwavering with the starting 11s uh, so far six games into the season that four three three with. Uh, Rodney Wallace in the left wing position doing the beastly aggressive things that he does. And Jack Harrison over on the other side, um, continuing to make a name for himself. So Shelton really, it, it just changes the changes, the, uh, strategy. If late in the game, you're looking for a goal because he is one of the only players in the short history of New York city FC. You could really get things done in the air. He's six, three, he's athletic. He really took a big step forward last year compared to year one in terms of his ability to be lethal in the box, ability to uh, to get on the ends of crosses. So if we're talking about uh, a game coming down to you know, just uh, the tiniest of differences towards the end, that's where that factors in. But all that does uh, really uh, um, from on the other side of it is create opportunities for a guy like Miguel Camargo, who's currently on loan, to continue to work his way in. Just a brief appearance uh, he had uh, on the road in D.C. a couple weeks back. Um, he's a really sure dribbler. He's aggressive. Fans are going to want to see some more from him. So really, I think it only affects kind of the aerial component, not having Shelton. But uh, even with him being a bit buried on the depth chart this year compared to last, we're still big fans of him over at Hudson River Bloom. If there anytime little little bitty rumors well up about him being uh, poten- potentially uh, on the transfer block going forward, that doesn't make us very happy. So we, <laughs> we hope he can hurry back and and uh, be a spark plug once again. Sam, before we let you go, I, I got a couple of questions for you. The first of those is um, I have this theory, and it's sort of one of those unprovable things, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. That uh, David Villa is probably the most indispensable to his to the success of his team player in MLS. What do you think about that? I think that's, there's a pretty strong argument to be made for him. I don't know how much more valuable he is to New York City than, say, 
Kyle Laren is to Orlando City, to be perfectly honest. I, it, and again, it's one of those things that's that's hard to measure, but it it's very much true that, uh, you, you know, you just picture it as if this guy goes down with an injury, does this team have any chance? And in the case of New York City, yeah, the, to say that there's no like-for-like replacement for him elsewhere on that bench goes without saying. There's mm-hmm. really no like-for-like replacement for him anywhere else in the league uh, in terms of what he brings and just the the industriousness, um, the incredibly level head. He'll track back as far as he needs to track back if he's not getting proper service mm-hmm. uh, from uh, from the engine room or from the wide areas. Um, so it his durability, because he wasn't the most durable player it, 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 even in his prime. Right. And uh, we, we've seen the various examples of that back when he was in Spain. But his durability in MLS has been fantastic. And as if that shoe ever drops, there really is no plan. I don't know if you can even stick with that the 4-3-3 that Vieira has been playing anymore. Uh, just the fact that he was the MVP last year, not by miles and miles, but just the fact that he was the MVP um, and the, the fact that this team still is in a situation, even with an improved defense, that they really do need to, to be ready to just outscore teams and, and, uh, and you know, back and forth uh, shootout type matches. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I wouldn't necessarily uh, pick a fight with you to suggest that he's the most indispensable player to his team. Yeah, and the one thing that, uh, that really impresses me about him is the the ideas that he has are are things that you wouldn't even think of, that most players don't even think of. And, that, and, and New York City seems to get a lot of goals off of those types of ideas that he has. So he, he, he's a very creative player, and I think that's part of his game that maybe doesn't get quite enough of. Uh, credit but uh yeah i thought for a while about it maybe last year i thought maybe kaka and and via were on par and then we it seems like orlando city under under jason christ has learned to to play without kaka so um i think that that torch has certainly been passed but you make a good point about kyle aaron because there's there's you know young kids on the bench behind him and, and they're not quite ready to step into that role so uh it's a good point by you my um the final thing we want to know is, of course, uh, we want to get your thoughts on the key matchup of the game this weekend and uh, your scoreline prediction for Sunday. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would say the the key matchup is uh, it's 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 got to be Laren, or to be perfectly honest, whoever is making a hard charge into the box with the ball uh, going up against. Uh, um, Andrea Pirlo's let's let's say Andrea Pirlo's uh, portion of the field, because while he isn't playing like a number six defensive midfielder, because it's just not his style, mm-hmm. he is the deepest midfielder that's deployed generally. Because Alexander Ring is covering an insane amount of ground up and down, side to side. He really does teleport. If you look down at your phone for a few <laughs> seconds and then look back up at, at the screen or at the field, if you're if you're in the stands, he's in a completely different perhaps even opposite phase of the pitch, um, wreaking untold destruction and havoc. He loves the taste of blood. But uh, I I would say what happens when Orlando City has a head of steam and is racing in not right into the box, but in that deep midfield area? What is the plan? What happens when someone like Laren with the ball of their feet is taking it right to Andrea Pirlo? Because that's usually when things go wrong. 
mm-hmm. uh, for New York City. So that's something I continue to look at. And uh, as for a score prediction, I'm I'm sensing a draw. I'm sensing a draw in which New York City scores first. So I will I will wager to peg it at one uh, one because it's going to be a little bit rainy in the forecast for Sunday. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 getting this uh, cosmic energy that's telling me one one. <laughs> well, I, I think if there's something you want on a bad pitch, it's definitely uh, inclement weather. That's oh yeah, make it even better. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sam Dunn, the managing editor of Hudson River Blue. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, and uh, you know we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, boys. We'll do it. Thanks, we'll do it to it. <laughs> All right, well, episode number 82 of the Mainland Podcast is winding down. We've got uh, a little more to talk about before we head on out for the week. Uh, Before we go, definitely want to uh, thank again Sam Dunn from uh, Hudson River Blue. Uh, Great guy to talk to. I mean, we could have easily done the whole podcast with him. I I felt like he was just a really easy dude to talk to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sam was great, and uh, I actually even had – more questions that I could have, but you know what? I didn't feel like burdening the man anymore. That's right. Yeah, and, and was, <laughs> I, I only asked him to be on this morning, so uh, it was short notice. So thank we thank Sam for, for uh, being available on short notice and, and coming on. And I have a lot more questions, so it's a good thing we play New York City again this year. Uh, back at the Purple Palace, I believe, is that third game, that rubber match. I, so Although I don't think he'll like that so much. No, well, hopefully he won't, because that means good things for us. That's right. Um, so anyway, David Rowe, I'm going to ask you what I asked Sam Dunn. I'm going to ask you for your key matchup against NYCFC and your scoreline prediction. Okay, so we head into uh, Yankee Stadium. Um, th- that's a natural reaction I have. Uh, all right. Um, I don't know what you're talking about, because it was edited out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, heading into Yankee Stadium, um, key matchup. I'm I'm going to go on uh, either end. You know, I seem to do this all the time, but it, there's a reason behind it. Um, I'm going on either end of the field. To, well, you know what? No, because you got on me about this. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to go on to the offensive side. I'm going to say that what we do on offense, as far as either uh, Kyle or uh, Rivas um, scoring opportunities. Uh, if if Kyle can go in there and do what he usually does against the New York teams, then I think we have the possibility of coming out of there with a win. So my key matchup is our uh, front two versus their back line. All right. Let's see if Carlos Rivas can finally dent the twine. Um so uh, your prediction was what's, what was the score prediction? My score prediction. I'm going to do the same thing I did last week and say, well, my brain says a tie. My heart says a 2-1 win. And I'm going to say that because Kyle and Kyle gets both goals this time. Ooh. Carlos, uh, unfortunately, still is denied. But Kyle gets two and we win 2-1. Yeah, I was hoping Carlos would make me look smart and get that goal, uh, but he hit the post instead. So, three times. Yeah, he. <laughs> well, you know, he wanted to make sure he got them all. He wanted... No, he got them all. <laughs> uh, I will say that my key matchup is uh, I'm going to look at young Tommy Redding against David Villa. Uh, they've gone toe to toe before, 
and yeah. and Tommy has come out on top, and I'm hoping that uh, that can happen again. And Tommy uh, played pretty well the last couple of games. Um, of course, L.A. has a very good team, and uh, they're very very difficult to stop. But he played pretty well in that game as well. And I, I think that if he can keep Via quiet, uh, you know, maybe Orlando City can get a result in that teeny tiny little field that they have up there. In New York. Tiny. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I wish I was as optimistic as you. I, I'm going to predict a one-one draw. Orlando City hasn't scored a lot of goals up there since the five-three game, and even though it was great to score three, it was pretty horrible to give up five. Well, so, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is, is we've all felt that at some point Orlando City has got to break out with more goals than we've been doing. And I'm going to say it's this game. That's that's why I'm, I'm and it, it's I understand it's not an avalanche of goals, but that's why I'm going with this is the one where they they actually score more than they should and they get the win. All right. Well, I'm 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 I think I'm being optimistic predicting one one because I think that it's very difficult to play in that particular building and uh, Orlando City is one one and one in the three uh, meetings up there and in those games they've. They actually have scored, uh, they scored three goals in the loss, they scored two goals in the draw, and only one in the victory, which was last year. Listen, so, I think you're being optimistic too, but last week I predicted a 2-1 win after saying that we would have a 1-1 draw, so I figure I'll do that again and see if it happens. Well, you know, you can't mess with a streak, I guess, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that, yeah, I, I would, again, a 1-1 draw is what I, what I, what I think will happen and it, it could even go their way, but I'm hoping it doesn't. And I'm hoping I'm completely wrong and Orlando city relaxes and, and starts scoring buckets of goals. But I, I kind of think that the, the goal scoring will, will pick up when, when Kaka comes back and they've got that extra playmaker and the guy who can, who can, I mean, for all the good things that Matias Perez Garcia and Giles Barnes have done, I don't think they're the kind of players that draw extra defenders to them the way that Kaká does. So, of, of course not. Uh, I mean, Kaká obviously is going to be the one that uh, you know, as soon as he steps on the field, then people are worried about him. So yes, you're you're right about that. So I think he's the guy who can he can not only score goals, he can he can set up goals, he can draw penalties and that kind of thing. So I think that's when the offense will will start to to come back to where we're, you know, where we saw it last year. So uh, it's been very difficult to, to score goals against New York city the last, <laughs> last couple of years. But um, you know, there's been a lot of one goal uh, results the last couple of years, but I'm hopeful, but I'm, my prediction is one, one and, and I'm, I'll stick by that. Uh, and it would be really nice if Carlos Rivas got that goal, but I, I'm going to predict this comes from somewhere different. Um, maybe, Will Johnson. A, oh. maybe a Giles Barnes, <laughs> maybe a Chris Nigita or something, or maybe even an own goal because they've served something in and it's kind of pinged around the box a little bit. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think that um, when you play New York, I think when you play New York City, you want to play them on a big field because then you could take advantage of, of Pirlo's lack of mobility. I think you can really take advantage of that on a bigger field. That's so, true. Um, you know, I think it was last year's game at Orlando in the Citrus Bowl where um, Perez Garcia nicked the ball off of uh, Pirlo from behind and they counterattacked and scored scored a goal off of that. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of plays that I'm thinking of when when I, I think I want to play them on a bigger pitch and 
you know, Villa's good on any any size pitch. He's I think he's magnified onto a small pitch because he's he's got such good reaction time. Unfortunately, and so yeah. He he's he knows what's going to happen before it happens. So I mean, he's he's it just he's already quicker than most of the guys. He's like a water bug out there. But I think it just it gets magnified when he when he's on that small field. He's really difficult to contain. So uh, it'll be. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be nice. It would be nice if they could at least get a point in the road, keep this thing going, and and keep some some momentum going, keep the heat on Columbus, you know, for the top of the East, and um, you know, prove that once they see that they can get points on the road, I think that's that's the key to really having a great season. I mean, you know, they're they're taking care of business at home right now, but you know, at some point that first loss is probably going to happen, and you want them to just you want them to try to get a a road result so that they can build on that and and know that they can get those points away from home. So that's what, that's where my head is at. And I I would like to see, um, again, I would like to see Carlos Rivas score a goal so much. (laughs) I would love to see Matias Perez Garcia score a goal so much. These guys are the the snake bitten guys on the team. But, um, but you know, I, I know, I just think it's going to be something weird, like a, like I said, I, maybe Barnes gets the goal off the bench, or maybe um, it go, it's an own goal, or maybe a defender gets it off of a, a set piece or something. But um, my, you know, your, your gut would say, well, got, got to go with Kyle Lahren against a New York team, and you probably would be pretty good predicting I'm go- that. I'm going with the odds on that one. Yeah, you'd probably be pretty good predicting that. But at some point, I think just he just takes so much attention away that someone else sneaks in and does something. That's that's kind of way I'm, way I'm thinking. You know what? If if it's if it's my score and your idea about who scores, we're both happy. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. So anyway, I think that's going to do it, Dave Rowe, for uh, episode 82 of the podcast. Hopefully, when I go back and listen to this, it's not uh, all glitchy like the, it was the last time after we had a nice long conversation that got really in depth about the game last week. I think we're uh, going to have to call I, this the reverb. It's just not. It's just not. Um, it's not good to have to re re-record because you just you I just I lose the energy I lose the the spontaneity and um but and, it is and what we it is. apologize to everybody because yeah. it was really you have no idea it was so good before it was probably the best one we had ever ever done you'll never know because you can't listen to it yeah, but, we had like a half an hour and about twenty minutes of that was it was a good breakdown of Orlando City L.A. Yeah so I mean I, I you'll feel, just have to take our bad. word for it. Yeah, I mean, if if I could find somebody that would be able to clean up this this glitchy version, I would put it out there as a bonus. Uh, as a bonus yeah. segment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, thanks for bearing with us. Those of you who are listening are like, what 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 are they talking about? What the hell are they talking about? Yeah, because yeah, you didn't hear the glitchy part. But um, you know, uh, please uh, read what we write. You can find it at themainland.com. T H E M A N E L A N D. You can follow us on Twitter at the mainland. You can like us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the mainland. Uh, I think anyway, just do a search and you're going to, you're going to turn us up and please, if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and, and, you know, give us a nice rating, give us a nice review because those are the things that bump us up the list when people um, are doing searches so that it, that will enable us to, to move up and to be heard by more people and and, and take into account that this was a re, re, re. <laughs> that's right and, and potentially we could even maybe 
attract a sponsor and be able to do more things. But uh, oh. I think for a free podcast, we do pretty good with the guests. Um, we've had, you know, all of the coaches from Orlando City. We've had all of, you know, we a ton of, ton of players from all three teams. Uh, you know, I think we've done quite well with the in the guest department. And we, we appreciate know. Sam Dunn again uh, for, for being here from Hudson River Blue. And that's despite having us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're handicapped to start with because we have us. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, we hope that you uh, get something out of this and we, we enjoy doing it. And hopefully you hopefully that comes through in the podcast because, um, you know, we care. We actually do care. <laughs> We're really tired at the end of the day, but we do this anyway for you, the home <laughs> listener. This is anyway, our jobs. <laughs> that's right. Let's get out of here. Uh, that'll do it for Episode 82 of the Mainland Podcast. Again, thanks to Sam Dunn. We'll be back next week to break down Orlando City at New York City FC. Uh, the OCB's game and the Pride home opener. And uh, who knows who our special guest will be next week. Uh, we will talk to the team and see if we can get a, uh, a lion for you to listen to next week. So uh, on behalf of Dave Rowe, I'm Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of The Mainland, saying, as I always do, go city.